I want to welcome everyone to another In My Feels uh, podcast. This one is very special because <laughs> everyone's laughing. Because this is a, a, an official book club. This is the In My Feels book club with two of probably my closest people in LA, Steve, Steve Miller, and my wife, Charlene. Now, Shoma. So this is, a, uh, this is another in-person one, and, and I love in-person ones because this, uh, this is probably like my third one ever. Um, and they always, I feel like they flow better when they're in-person. And as everyone knows who's been listening to kind of my uh, previous episodes, um, we're going to dive in on Conversations with God, book one. Great Because everyone's read it here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've made us. Well, and you, Steve, you read it. Yeah, I'd read it a couple of years ago, and now I'm revisiting, and I love it. Yeah, it's by uh, Neil Donald Walsh, um, and I always kind of. And, and before we start, you know, the same thing is um, thoughts, feelings, emotions, um, conditionings, everything on the inside creates your outside exterior. So my question for you, Stephen, or Steve, sorry, is how are you feeling right now in this moment? Um, I feel grateful and um, happy to be here in this moment. Okay, there we go. Charles? Um, whew, I feel a little <laughs> nervous. My feet are sweaty when they <laughs> I know I'm nervous. <laughs> but I feel uplifted. I always feel so uplifted when I'm around and communicating with people I'm aligned with and people who are aligned with themselves. And I feel a lot of balance between us. So There we go. Yeah. How am I feeling? I'm feeling excited. I'm good. I mean, we, we actually, we, we've had a few rosés. So I don't know if Jesus turned r- water into rosé. They didn't really specify in the Bible which type of wine it was. Only Merlot. <laughs> yeah, only Merlot. <laughs> which is, uh, we just watched the TikTok um, viral thing, which was a guy t- <laughs> not liking Merlot. Um, all right, let's dive in on this book. Um, I guess first, the first question is, Reading book one, how did it make you feel? Um, for me, it made me feel that God is much more approachable than we depict him to be. Oh, and like, or her. Okay, I like that. Yeah, um, it resonated with me. It was almost like every time I read these books, and I read other books that, you know, I felt the same um, but this brought me closer to God because I would, I do, I do say prayers and I do, I'm very spiritual and I believe in many things, everything and nothing. Um, but when I read this, it was, it was almost like I already had the knowledge and all of a sudden I'd woken up to it again. Mm. And that's how I feel when I read, read this one. Same. I mean, even for me, um, reading the book was like, cause I guess we all have pre- preconditions of who god is or what we think god is and it's always something based on something else or a stereotype version of what god is so growing up in my house there was no god it was just like you're here by yourself deal with it fix whatever the fuck is going on with you and get on with it mm. which is probably a good place to be at the time uh, well now i realize now at the time i didn't feel like it was a good thing um so for me going to god or a god concept is you're looking for something outside of yourself to fix whatever is happening in your life. And for the first time ever reading this book, this is someone I could fall in love with. I could actually like fall in love is probably a little strong, but in terms of, I felt like this, uh, like you said, it resonated with me. I liked the answers 
to the question. Well, I like the questions that were, were given and I loved the answers that came back. It's a very plutonic type of um, way of living. It's a very um, open way of living and something that I fucking love. Sure. I love the sense of the responsibility that God puts back on us in this book, the interpretation. Um, having come from a very organized religion background, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. Um, you have a different dependency on God in that religion. Um, and this really brought it back to you're responsible for your life. You're responsible for manifesting your dreams, your goals. Um, and there's a quote in the Bible, faith without works is dead. Going back to basically meaning you can have faith, but you have to put all that into action. God's going to help you, but you need to be in charge of your life. You need to take action. Prayer is wonderful. It's, it's a good way to start, but then you need to go from there and continue building on that. And that's what I loved about this book. I felt like the approach that the author took in his interpretation of what he <laughs> received from God, um, which I believe, you know, I'm sure everyone gets communicated with in different ways. I personally have never been spoken to by God in a direct way. Mm -hmm. I, I feel the same because I'm always like, well, why hasn't God spoken to me? And I'm like, well, in this book, I would never ask the questions that the author would ask. I'd be like, if God was someone was speaking to me, I'd be like, this is how it is. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there'd, totally. there'd be no question about it. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. So, so just define, so Jehovah's Witness, is, is it based on the Bible? Strictly based on the Bible. It's, it's exact Bible interpretation from the King James Version of the Bible. Oh, so it's like Old Testament. Old Testament and New Testament. And so everything is literal. So there's no holidays really celebrated in the Bible. There's very few holidays. There's no traditional Christmas, you know, Easter, any of those holidays. So it, it, that's why the Jehovah's religion eliminates all those holidays. And also there's no examples of real birthdays. There's only one or two examples of birthdays and they all included a tragedy. So the Jehovah's religion doesn't allow the birthday celebration. Uh, so, so... I guess you growing up with that type of um, religious background, is that something you believed in? Well, you had no choice of believing, right? Yeah. I mean, we became Jehovah's Witnesses when I was uh, nine or 10. And then um, as I started developing and, and grew into who I am, um, I just really realized it didn't serve me anymore um, in a lot of ways. Um, one of them being sexuality. You couldn't be gay in the Jehovah's Witness organization. So that was, you know, something that really wasn't going to work for me. So um, I kind of left that behind. It gave you a lot of structure. Um, it gave me a connection with, I've never stopped praying. Like I always believed in prayer and, and connecting with God, but I definitely redefined my relationship with God after leaving that religion. Did you did, so you would physically pray to a God or to that, that specific God? Yes. But Got most it. of the prayer for me at the time, instead of praying out of a place of gratitude, which is where I come from now, I, I, I almost all my prayers were thanksgiving rather than asking. Mm -hmm. um, it, before it was always asking and always asking for forgiveness for sinful thoughts and sinful feelings. Wow. So that really, once I recreated my relationship with God, all that shifted and left because there was a lot of guilt in that organized religion. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a funny one because even reading this book, I've never spoken to God mm. ever. I've never asked God for anything. No. Um, until reading this book. And not that I ask him for stuff now, but I'm like, maybe you're there. Oh. You know, like, which is, which is strange for me. It's kind of this realization of understanding that. You never had a moment of prayer, like never, never. when you were younger, never mm -mm. given nope. guidance, helping mm -mm. through the situation. Wow. No, I was like, because you had no choice. There, wasn't, there was no aspect of someone's going to come and help you. You had to help yourself. Mm. 
which is kind of quite a practical way to live. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of love that background for you because I mean, I've known Steve for, I don't know, since I was 21. So 15, 16 years. Um, and knowing his kind of background and growing up and, and I think you bring a, an amazing dynamic to this conversation while reading this book. So uh, is your, I, I'd say with your background growing up, I guess I've never read anything about homosexuality in the Bible. Is there specifically something in there that says it, it, it's, it, it's not allowed? I'm so confused by these type of things. There are scriptures, um, mainly Leviticus, that describe that man shall not lie with man. So that's interpreted as lie, meaning, you know, having a sexual um, is that Old Testament or New Testament? It's New Testament. Oh, pre-Jesus or after Jesus? Uh, I think after Jesus. Okay. Jesus never spoke of this, did he? I honestly don't know where that particular quote came from. <laughs> honestly, I should, <laughs> should look deeper into it, but it, it, I don't think it came from Jesus. Yeah. From my understanding. Because... Um, Part of my, because uh, part of my reading now of opening up to a God or to anyone, God, because God concept for me is like a, you know, a male with a beard or a white male with a beard and all that type of stuff, which I never bought into anyway, the authority figure of, of I wasn't listening to anyone. And I only read, i separated all that type of stuff. And I only wanted, I wanted to dive in on all religions. I wanted to get my education behind every single religion on earth to understand what the fuck we're doing. Sure. Um, I guess the only one I'm left with now is probably Islam and maybe the Pharaohs or something. Um, Cause I want to define, I guess I can take certain elements of history or spirituality from these texts. Cause you know, that's what was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a few texts that only operate on what Jesus spoke about. And I dove deep into those books. He doesn't mention anything about homosexuality or any of that type of stuff. You know, the 10 commandments were actually reduced to, I think six or seven when Jesus was around. He's like, Nope, we're going to cut some of those, not necessarily commandments, more guidance. And I know the book conversation with God speaks about the 10 commandments. It says, those are not commandments. Yeah. I didn't give those commandments. Those are more like, guises of way you can kind of live your life. Thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill. All that type of thing, which is kind of morality based. Um, But I love that you have a different aspect of it. I mean, do you, in terms of relationships kind of, you know, with your family and stuff like that, does does religion still play a part in that relationship? Is there still a, a kind of deep root in you with that kind of compatibility for the kind of way you used to feel or the way you grew up in terms of the church and all that type of stuff to how you are now. I mean, living in LA and all that type of stuff with the church. I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I haven't met anyone who's in the church who's in LA. Sure. Does that, is that still kind of deep rooted into you? Is is that still instilled in kind of your DNA and and kind of how you handle things logistically or uh, morally? Hmm. Probably to a certain extent. Um, not specifically that religion of being Jehovah's Witness, but definitely how I go into situations. Um, because I guess for me, Jehovah's Witnesses were like, oh, you get a ring on your door. Yeah. And you'd open the door and be like, uh, are you ready to talk about God? And those were Jehovah's Witnesses. And then you close the door. Sure. Is that what we're talking about right yeah, now? So, so I did I did all of those things. Wait, wait. You knocked on people's doors. Knocked on people's doors. Oh, wow. Stephen. Yeah. And talked about the Bible, talked about scriptures, talked about... 
the interpretation of the Bible and and what and in Jehovah's Witnesses religion they train you so they train you to go to the door so most of the meetings that you go to are training to help convert people to becoming a Jehovah's Witness by teaching them from the scripture why whatever religion they are may not be the correct way and how you can basically throw them show them through the scriptures how they can kind of redefine their religion and eventually teach them to become jehovah's witnesses what what age was this uh i started going door to door you go to order from the beginning so probably like 10 or 11 you go with your parents and then eventually they train you to start reading the scriptures at the door and then eventually start teaching you how to start a conversation so you knock on someone's door knock 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 hey my name is steve and i'm one of jehovah's witnesses (laughs) i'm here to talk to you about god's kingdom are you are you familiar with that and people would be like you know yes no you know or i have my own religion great and when they said that they teach you how to basically combat that they would so someone's oh i already have my religion oh great what is your religion so then you start talking about the religion and you bring up points in their religion they might not even be aware of that they know so one of the key points that jehovah's witnesses bring up is uh, the holy trinity a lot of people believe in the Holy Trinity that God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are one entity. Mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that. So they basically oh. help you. Is that like the mind, body, soul? Yeah. So Jehovah's okay. Witnesses believe they're all separate entities, that God has the Holy Spirit that does his work for him, and then Jesus is his son, is what they truly believe. So um, you would help people kind of reimagine, because a lot of people never think about the Trinity and kind of what it fully means. So that would be one topic of conversation. So that would be one thing that we'd jump into as a Jehovah's Witness, knocking on someone's door. What was the success rate of conversion? It's very low. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of rejection early on in life. A lot of rejection, uh, but the goal is always to start a Bible study. So that means getting into the person's home, talking to them about the Bible. And then Jehovah's Witnesses, they have um, materials that are compatible with the Bible that kind of help you interpret what the Bible is saying. So you read those materials with the person, along with their own copy of the Bible, and you kind of interpret it with them. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really fun. Was it fun? Uh, I like people, so that part of it was fun for me. Yeah. Um, And I liked engaging and all that. I liked educating. And I do think that that skill has kind of helped me later in life not be fearful of interacting with it. You were social. Yeah. It it also trains you to... One of the hardest topics in life to talk about is religion. Mm. So it teaches you to talk about it in a very open way so that you're listening to the other person, but also kind of at the same time helping shape their opinion to be more in line with what the Jehovah's Witness organization thinks. Yeah. Um, so, so it's technically agenda-based. There's an agenda, but their, their agenda is they really do believe that they're helping guide people towards the right answers. Yeah. So it's like the, 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 the strict Bible Yes. Uh, okay. So does, does Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was the son of God? Yes. Okay. But they, they're so strict about the Bible beliefs that they really delve into like the paganism that got integrated into Christianity. It's why they demystify Christmas. They demystify the cross. They don't believe in the cross because um, that was the religion Tamez, and Tamez was a T that they wore on their necklace that when, when Christianity incorporated that religion into theirs, they kind of adopted the T and just said, oh, yeah, Jesus died on a cross which Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus died on the storo, which storo translates to to stake in the ground. So he died technically with his hands up and his feet staked to the top oh and the hands to the bottom. So that's how they that's how they interpret everything. So it's very literal. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's dive in on, on 
your religion and your your growing up? There was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot going on. So um, I grew up there. Uh, my family are Sikh. My mum's family and my dad's family. So um, I was always in the temple with my mum, and my family were big into praying and fasting. And you know, there was I don't have much knowledge on the religion so we will have to google if we need information on sure. this but it did allow it did spark a spiritual sense in me where i always believed in something higher but i didn't necessarily believe it was a man above us sitting in a heaven is it, is that the the actual is that the teachings of Sikhism? Sikhism. Oh, my gosh. Or are you talking Terrible literally right. about your, your experience? No, I'm talking about my experience through seeing my family as Sikhs and seeing their practices and what I took from it. I enjoyed going to the temple. You got free food. You got fed. You got to meet people. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Everyone was dressed in beautiful attire, beautiful traditional Indian clothes. So for me, I, I love that. I love seeing that. And then I also went to um, a Catholic convent school and I was taught by nuns, and um, and what, you know. So wait, wait. So you grew up as Indian Sikh. Yeah. What age did you go to a Catholic school? Um, from the age of thirteen, thirteen to fifteen. Is that because it, is that because 16. it was a good school, or genuinely your mum wanted no, you to learn Catholicism? I didn't get into the grammar school in our area at the time, so <laughs> <laughs> my parents were like, "We're going to have to send her to private school because." She's already on the road to somewhere else. So the Catholic school was private school? <laughs> the Catholic school was private school, yeah. Okay. I went from a public school to a private school. Um, and it was, yeah, Catholicism. And we didn't, rely, we didn't learn about any other religion. It was just Catholicism. And wow. Yeah, it was quite intense. Um, but I got a great education there. So it's St. <laughs> <laughs> Augustine's Priory. Did that cause any conflict up. for you, though, having gone to that school and getting that Catholic education to then going to your Sikh temple. Well, it's funny because this is the first time I really thought about it like that. At the time, I don't think my mind was anywhere in any of the religion um, at school learning it. I was just sort of doing the textbook, passing the exams, and that was it. I wasn't sure. taking anything in. I would often um, argue with my teachers or question them on things, and it made me look like I, I'd often have to go to the headmistress's office for just speaking out of term or... So then I just kept quiet. So it, I stopped asking the questions to the wrong people. It was an all-girls school? It was an all-girls school, yeah. What, what, what were they like on kind of sexuality and kind of... Because I guess it's teenage years, right? Yeah. And I can only compare that to my teenage years at school, which was fucking hor like horrendous. Because <laughs> in my school, there was, um, it, was an, it was a mixed school, a very public school, probably too public, to be honest. And... In my year, there wasn't enough girls in the year, so they created an all-boys class. Oh. So my class was all boys. And I remember going into class, and I'm like, look at all these foreign people. Yes, because my name is, is an Arab name, and it was, so my name was, was, was in there. And I, I mean, we grew up pretty foreign. We grew up a little bit Arab, a little bit this, a little bit that, which was the, 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 the culture at the time. But I guess they just picked a bunch of names and was like, well, you guys are the boys. Best, best time of my life. But sexuality was rife. I'm talking like 
I think it's because there was no girls in our class. Oh, yeah, we had a pedophile standing outside our school flashing us. Um, oh, my God. Grown men, oh. older men in raincoats. Bless them. Yeah, I saw, like, dicks at the age of 13. Oh, my God. <laughs> Unsolicited. Just literally from you. Unsolicited dick. I don't know if it had something to do with us being at girls' school, but we would always have... They all knew the target. Would they're all girls' school. Was it on a specific you. day, or was it just like genuinely just end these of the week? These aren't memories I hold on to. So <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what day. I just got my pay packet. Let me go. Definitely <laughs> Monday to Friday. Let me go. For, let me go. Flash some people. Oh what, what about you with sexuality? With with the kind of religiousness that you grew up with? I mean, if it's strict by the Bible, then it's word for word, right? Yeah. So there was no sexuality that no one ever spoke about private parts or how you're no, feeling there was, there was or... an open discussion in the religion also my dad's a doctor so he fortunately was very open and, and frank about how everything worked but in the religion yes i do remember there would be public talks on sundays and sometimes on thursdays that just kind of went through and talked about masturbation and what a sin it was they would talk about homosexuality they would talk about masturbation mm-hmm. in what capacity in a sinful way like it, really mm-hmm. to touch thyself Mm-hmm. Is the, is a sin? Yeah. Well, because so, you know, it, well, I'm going to skip ahead, but in book two, yeah, I'm, conversation with God says masturbation is is very natural. It is, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, so they would talk about everything from pornography, masturbation, is a um, sin, everything's a sin, bestiality. We would talk about that. Um, everything. So they covered all the topics, and so you would sit there and you're just like, ooh, who does this apply to in here? So wait, so when you say I mean, at what age did you know that that you were gay? I knew I felt certain things, um, probably right right when you start going through puberty, like eleven or twelve. I knew I felt attracted to. And these conversations were before or the, during? They were during. Okay, how yeah. did that make you feel? Shameful. I prayed. I prayed a lot to take uh, take away the desire. Mm. No. Yeah, I would pray. I'd pray till I cried. Wow. Yeah, to take away the feelings that I felt. That's almost like religious suppression. It's not even religious suppression. It's just suppression, suppression. in general. Yeah. Could you, I mean, you can't help the way you feel. I mean, we can, all, we can talk about, you know, unhappiness or happiness as a choice, all these type of things. But if you're feeling it, you, you should feel it and allow those feelings to, to, to kind of flow through you and to surface. But I guess you want allowed that opportunity. But also one thing I loved about the book was... It said that um, the biggest lie in religion is that God's love is conditional. Mm-hmm. Mm. God's love, you know, and this book says l- God's love has no conditions. Correct. And, you know, emotions are based on how you feel. And if you feel something, you should feel it through your whole core. So for me now, I'm like, I, I want people to know this because no one should ever feel that that sort of suppression is there's something wrong with them, you know. Yeah, I agree. Especially growing up as a child. And now that we have a child, I see how impressionable they are. And, you know, it really makes me think twice about just the way we were raised, the way other people are raised and how we can change things and, you know, really, really fix mental health, which is becoming an even bigger issue because it is a big issue. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's a huge issue. So, I mean, I actually love I'm having this conversation with you. I know we, we speak about a ton of stuff. Sure. But we, we've kind of surface based the kind of Jehovah's Witness vibe. And I think 
because I had no religion before this, like nothing. And then the fact that you're reading this book from a strict Jehovah's Witness base, knocking at people's houses, like genuinely trying to convert people to follow the, the word of God. And there's me growing up and, you know, my, the wife growing up as, you know, Sikhism or not Sikhism and then going to a Catholic school. It's, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of emotional suppression in the natural feeling of you. When did you, I mean, it's like being in a relationship where you cannot be yourself for so many fucking years and that relationship ends and you're like, who the fuck am I? Sure. Did you ever have that moment? Yes. Yeah. When was that? Probably around 24. Jesus. I mean, and I don't want to use the name in vain, but <laughs> 20, that, 24. Yeah. What happened at 24? Uh, Where was you? How was you feeling? I was very, de- I was very depressed because I wasn't dealing with my sexuality and I was trying to live a life according to. And you were still praying, trying to, trying to cleanse, trying to pray the gay away. Yes. And, um, trying to please my family and do things the right way according to what I thought. Were you still living at home? I just moved out. Yeah, okay. I just moved out. And um, so it's that element of freedom, that element of, I guess, that reservedness of I'm, I'm on my own. Who am I? Well, I think I shared with you this. We were talking last weekend and I, I was actually at a point of just being very suicidal because I was living such a lie and um, not being true to myself or, or to anyone in my life. Like everything I was living was a lie. Um, from the women I was dating at the time to the stories I would tell my parents to the relationships with my friends, nothing was genuine because I wasn't being truthful. Um, and so that just compounded. And I remember just being getting really, really depressed. And then I decided, hey, listen, I maybe this was a conversation with God. Maybe God kind of intervened and had a conversation with me on a, on a different <laughs> level than he did in this. In this <laughs> but something kind of came to me and said, y- you can either choose to live and live your truth and figure out a way to make it work with a relationship with God. Um, or you can just end this all. And I chose, I was like, listen, I'm maybe I'm going to be the more rebellious person here, but I'm going to go and, and live my truth. And, uh, and that's when I started coming out to people and telling people who I really was. And I lost friends and my parents took a minute to readjust and reacclimate. And fortunately they came back around in my life and, uh, and then everything flourished from there. And then I promised myself that I would never lie about who I was or what I was feeling ever again. And as soon as I did made that promise to myself and, and started speaking about myself and everything in my life in a truthful way, everything in my life shifted. That's beautiful. To the positive. Yeah. And, and, and where were you geographically? Arizona. Okay. That was home? Yeah. Okay. Um, I love that, Stephen. Thanks. Um, how I can love we... these podcasts because you just find out so much about your friends. I know. You because... know. <laughs> it's funny because I... Why are we never... Like, why? Right. Well, I mean, I, I know a ton of this about this stuff with Steve, but it's never on... I mean... I, when I spoke to my brother Josh last week, and we we said our relationship's pretty surface, but it's there's a beauty in that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like because whenever I'm with him, we have fun. Sure. And then whenever I'm with you, we have fun. Sure. There's never any like uh, you know we do have deep conversations. We always do. That's why we're, we're fucking great friends. But it's but it's on a, on a level where it's not going to be detrimental to our, us enjoying each other. You know what I'm saying? Because we're not in that place. Sure. Um, 
I think it's super courageous. And I always ask Steve, I mean, the reason why Steve is one of my very good friends, honestly, is because when I used to come to LA, he's probably the only gay person I know. And, and bearing in mind, from me, from my background, I never knew any gay people, mm-hmm. ever. In my school, we used to say, you know, you're gay. And that would be a diss. Sure. And, and that was the culture of the classroom. And you wouldn't know if it was detrimental. And you found out later that a bunch of your classmates were gay and whatever. And you're like, oh, shit. Maybe we shouldn't have said that. Sure. But you, you, you couldn't separate yourself from you. You know, I accept it now. Reach out to those people. I'm like, I love you for you. This is great. Yeah. Let, let's go to West Hollywood and party. Yeah. And I used to go to, you know, and, and the reason why I loved Steve is because we would go out, have the greatest time. We had the greatest conversations. And we would dance all night, mm-hmm. and we would dance, and that was it. That was that was like, I loved because I came from a background of like the acceptance of when you were even when you went to a fucking club where you're spending money, people would be like, "What list you on? Who do you know?" It was type of shit. So you're constantly <laughs> acting for acceptance. Sure. And when I would go to the gay bars with with uh, with Stephen, it would be like, "There's no list." Uh. Just come and enjoy yourself. Sure. There would be a lot of dicks yeah. and a lot of, you know, sure. other stuff. But th- that didn't blindsight my, my time for having a good time because I was very open to having fun. That's great that you were. And, and honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all of the people that you acquired during that time, you had a lot of gay friends in L.A. I think everyone felt very accepted by you. And we loved taking you out to the gay clubs. It was so much fun. Um, how was that for you? Was coming to LA, was that one of the first times you ever experienced gay life and gay clubs? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, you never visited. Never, never had a gay friend, never spoke to anyone who was gay, never kind of dove deep into their emotions or feelings or any other type of stuff. Sure. Um, it was, no, I didn't even know that that type of life existed. It was always kind of, I guess, not that it was wasn't that in in my household it just was never was sure you know it wasn't like that was wrong because it never it, you didn't know anyone who was yes and then you meet charlene who is miss collect I, all in the another gays. life was a gay guy <laughs> for sure if i've been a guy i've you, definitely been gay definitely, there's no you, way i was straight <laughs> you definitely were too fabulous for that shit. Oh, but you also had a lot of gay people in, in, oh, yeah. in your life. Like yeah. it, it was my lifestyle. They were my best friends, my family. Um, yeah, it's like my community in London. I worked at um, a club, and you know, we would just have it was it was our life. It sure. was, it, I didn't see it as anything different. It was just you are you, and I am me. I am me, and we're here, and we can get fucked up and party together. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, pretty I much mean, it. That, that was not my upbringing. That was not my in my school. If you were, you were gonna. I think I learned quickly. some shit was about to happen. I learned really not from me. Yeah, but then again, I mean, you know what's strange about my class is you had inclinations of people who were like sure different, yeah. different. I think I learned very quickly that people will be who they want to be and let them be who they who they are. You had that very early on. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't even know I was living and breathing or any of that type of shit. Yeah. I was just existing in this clusterfuck of... I was deep. Depression, which everyone was. <laughs> I, I guess my upbringing wasn't depressive. I understand that it was now because everyone around you was. Your parents were. Your friends were. You just didn't understood what it was because everyone felt the same. So therefore you were in the same circle. 
Um, I think I want to I want to dive a little bit on quotes from the book, mm-hmm. just to kind of get your reactions sure. and everything else. Sure. Um, let's see. You have forgotten what what, what it is like to love without con- uh, conditions. That is a quote from Conversation with God. That we forgot what it's like to love without conditions. Yes. We have forgot, you have forgotten what, what it was like to be loved without conditions. Yeah. Well, since having Freya, I think you and I have really learned, we've learned to drop all conditions and it's unconditional just through the love of our child and feeling the love of our child. I feel like when you, when you have this new life, when you have babies in your life, you know, it really is a blessing because it's like a new injection of love that you've never experienced in your life. And, and that, that's the moment where I was like, wow, love is unconditional with you by my side too. But I really do think it took her to come into our lives for us to go, nothing else matters but this. Yeah. Do you I, feel like and, having... And there's no conditions here. It, you know, I will love you. Sure. It doesn't matter who you are or where you go, <laughs> Do I you think. feel like now that you've tapped into that type of love, that unconditional love, has that translated into the love that you have for other people in your life yeah I think I I'm learning that and I'm I really I'm the type of person who I live a hermit lifestyle too and I can go inside and I feel like I communicate with my friends and family without communicating with them so it's like I know I haven't spoken to you but I'm telepathically telling you I love you every day. No, that does, that does not happen. That, <laughs> I feel like as a Scorpio, we do those things sometimes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You sting and then say I love you. No, we don't. <laughs> Only if you need a sting, you get stung. Yeah. I think, I think it's done the opposite for me. It has made me realize who I actually care about and who I actually don't. Mm. Maybe that's not the opposite. Maybe it's the same thing. Um, but it is, it's unconditional because my, my, uh, Freya, my daughter would be like, I love you, dada. And that's it. They're not because of, sure. and you realize how conditional your love has been for anyone in your life. Yeah. You know, I love my wife because she does this or she loves me because all this, it's, it's all conditional. And you're like, wow, I've been reading love wrong this whole time. Well, there's no such thing as right or wrong. It just is. But. It may, it, but that's the different. The, the different. The, well, I should say it is the. What's the word I'm trying to use? It is the appreciation for understanding the love that I now have for my child, and for the love I should have for everyone else mm-hmm. who means something to me. Sure. You know, love thy neighbor. That's what it's about. I'm not sure I love my neighbors, but I do. I love Jacob. I love oh yeah, no, he's great. He's a baker, so you know that, that he's automatically in. But I mean, it, it, you cannot understand that type of unconditional love. Everything is reciprocal. I mean, you do a job for someone because you want something back. That's the condition, and that's the nature of everything. Which is not, which is, which is fine. Which is, which is okay. Would it be amazing to operate from a different place though? Because the book quotes that were motivated by fear or love and it'd be amazing to operate from everything and from a perspective of love. So you only do everything that, that resonates in the love zone for you. Yeah. How great would that be? I mean, we only see from the book too, which I, I had a whole episode on, which was we only have two emotions, love and fear, which I learned from the book. I'm like, Holy shit, we do. Yeah. It's because the love aspect is the kind of movie Hollywood type love 
when we see the movies, the music, oh, you know, this love type of thing. So we pocket love in that aspect. Mm-hmm. It could be something you're enjoying. Maybe you don't think it's love, but that is in the bracket of the love aspect. Sure. It's the joy aspect. And everything else is fear. And you think about, you know, going to work. Am I, am I, am I going to do a good job? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Am I do this? It's, Everything else is fear-based. But, but that's the number one enemy to the human race is fear. So I know, agree. we well, have to I, really try and... I don't think it's the number one enemy. I think you know who you are by what you are not. So you know love because you know fear. But the book actually said our grandest enemy is fear. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. I'm just quoting the book. It, it, well, <laughs> if God said it, she quoted <laughs> I'm just speaking from spirit. She quoting. <laughs> and all my notes around me. There you go. Let me read another one. All right. If I do not go without... Uh, sorry. Hang on. Well, rewind. Mm. If I don't, do not go within, I go without. Hmm. And that resonates with me because my mum says, do you want to go without? Every time. Or one of the other things my mum would say, would say, mum, what's for dinner? Shit with sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Love your mum's saying. I was like, I, I guess I'm having shit for sugar with it, for that's dinner. For, that's for dinner. Yeah. Um, I guess that is true. If I, if I do not go within, I go without. I've actually, we've actually not been meditating lately. The, the only way right now is to go within because... I mean, it depends what, you know, how you treat your day and, and, you know, what your routine is. But for me, I wake up and my, you know, Lou's great. He doesn't go on his phone, but I still have the tendency of looking at my phone, checking out this, my emails, my headlines. And immediately, like, I'm, I'm surrounded by love through, you know. Surrounded you by negativity. And, and fear, the, but still I phone. feel so much fear start coming through. And it starts like that in the morning. Sure. And then the fear comes. And then another headline. And then something else. And then, and it's just more fear and more fear. And then throughout my day, I feel a little weighed down by this. So now I'm going within. So for me, I'm like, if I don't go within, I really am going without because I'm not doing a service to myself. I'm not doing a service to my family. It's just not keeping me in a good place. So I, I think within is, is, is the way. And, 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 and it's strange because, uh, you know me, I don't watch the news. I don't read what's going on. And now I know what's going on because of Charles. And, <laughs> just like to be informed. And, and I'm starting to fear. The fear is, for the first time ever, starting to creep into me. Sure. Because I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for my daughter. Mm. And then I start thinking about, you know, our oceans, our, 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 the world, the trees, the, the planet. And, and, you know, I spoke about collective consciousness on a previous episode, which I spoke about the reason why the world is in the state it's in is because our collective consciousness is in that state. So if you think about the way I'm feeling, the way you're feeling, Steve, the way you're feeling, Charlene, all of us, let alone your household, everyone else's household, everyone who's listening to this podcast times how many, how many billion people on earth, we are collectively, all of our thought processes are going into the overall aspects or the health of the world. And I'm like, wow, I fear what's coming genuinely. And that is the first, that has only happened a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, wow, you have all these entrepreneurs or sorry, CEOs, some of the biggest people, Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, um, all those type of guys trying to leave Earth. Which shows me these motherfuckers know what the fuck is going on. 
because they're highly scientific and intellectual. And I'm now trying to change my collective consciousness to understand the earth is not, again, sure. living without sounding of myself and living for someone else. If it was me, I, I don't care. It is what it is. My daughter's life and future and all that type of stuff, that matters to me. Well, you have to remember, like, and I think this is from the book as well, it said, you know, our power lies in our clarity about the role our work can play in making a more beautiful world. So for me now, I'm seeing all these things and, you know, sometimes I'm discussing it with you at which you shut me down because you don't want to hear about it. So I'm trying to switch it and just be like, okay, so... I don't want to give to this collective consciousness of fear because there's a lot of it going around. And I don't the whole wanna, planet's I don't want to give to this hate and this cancelling, you know, culture over here on this side. What I want to do is I want to beautify and I want to inject still love into this world. So and another reason why we do this podcast, like me, I, I don't like talking and opening up <laughs> people. So when Lou asked me to come on with the book club, I was like, oh my God. But I see the messages Lou gets. And you know, another thing about how I feel in the moment I'm very proud of you for continuing to do this because people do need to hear about like-minded people who are thinking this way to add to a collective consciousness of love who can uplift the planet who do care about our neighbors and want a brighter future for our children Stephen I, I, that, was just, that was like just a statement like mic down i'm out actually want to be that was beautiful with you all the time because honestly charlene when i come over here quite frequently you know lou and i get on our vibes and we talk a lot and you kind of are along for the ride but i really love hearing your perspective and i really love exactly what you just shared and i do think it's important that that people continue these kind of conversations and i love that lou has a podcast that that reaches an audience that um that this can resonate with because I do feel I'm actually a very optimistic person. And I think, yes, there are a lot of problems that we're facing. I think mankind is miraculous and I think mankind can overcome these things. And I think these kind of conversations and finding like-minded people will continue to shift the planet in a different way. Uh, yes, we are looking at space as a new frontier. Um, but I do know that all the tech companies I research for investments, everyone is looking at how to fix our planet because at the end of the day, we're never going to find a home like this. So we need to repair it. And, and it is possible. Yeah. And you it, can't just take, 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 take and not give. That's what we're yes. doing to the other. And I would take, take, take. And you need to give something back. So let's yes. collectively come together and be like, come on, how can we fix this? This is our home. Yeah, but you know? see. And we will. You, we have, will, to, you yes. have to understand, right? Collective consciousness, right? So we live in the West, you know, wherever you want to put it. We, we all live in absolute abundance. Maybe you don't realize you live in abundance, but you have running water. You have all the luxuries that you think are not luxuries. You have them. Sure. In this country, I can only speak, again, my listeners know I'm very honest and I can only speak from my own experience. The reason why we have what we have is because our country takes from, from the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. Um... And I understand that, but the difference is it's only because I'm living outside of myself to understand that because collective consciousness is on climate change, because collective consciousness is on COVID, because collective consciousness is on vaccine or unvaccinated, this fucking new war brewing, because conf uh, collective consciousness is on um, Palestine and Israel. Collective consciousness is on Afghanistan and the U.S. 
we are all focused on the negative aspect in terms of media or news. So therefore, the collective consciousness is there operating in that negative space. Yes. So I can see all the resonance. We're all to blame for this, every single one of us. And, and, And on this show, I'm always about accountability. You are accountable for your emotions. You have to be. Because if you're not, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, you know, I use um, Skid Row as an example because I had an, a Skid Row historian on. And there's people who, you know, who have lost kids and family members who are on Skid Row. And I'm like, I would be there too. I understand that type of stuff. People who are not in that place, it's up to us to collectively change the world is not dying, it's being reborn. And this is what, how we have to teach our kids. And I think, on to my next point, back to the book, is, I'm going to read another quote. The first well, law... I, I was going to say okay. one thing. I was going to say, you know, what we have to... The one thing about this book, and one thing I really did take from it, was miracles. Like Miracles can happen. Miracles at any moment. Miracles when you believe. And, you know, miracles mean at any moment we can begin again. Wait, is that from this book or is that from Marianne Williams? Maybe it's from Marianne Williams. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm like crossing the two. I've read that it didn't mention any miracles in this book. Okay, but I believe in miracles. So this is just my point of view with an influence of Marianne Williams. What was the, the book? Uh, Return to Love. Return to Love. Which is based on a book of miracles. Yeah, but God, but the, the conversation of God did say, you know, the miracle is using our career in the healing of earth. So how can we contribute to the healing of the universe and using our, you know, careers and our powers to contribute to this? So for me, you know, sometimes I get a little bit disappointed with people who have platforms and aren't using them in the right way. No one's using their platforms. No one no one is using them in the right way. I love I love Kanye West's artistry, okay? I love Kanye West's artistry. I think he's a great artist, but I'm really disappointed in him because I feel like he has this platform. I love Kanye like three albums ago. Yeah, but look, look, listen, this isn't my Maybe point. Four. My point is <laughs> I, I don't want to put this podcast to even discuss that. All I'm just saying is when these, when people who we idolize, who we look up to, who have these platforms, who we want to be like, who we aspire to be, and they're using it, for things that aren't love, I'm just like, come on, guys, wake the fuck up. Yeah. Do the kids a service. You also have kids. Let's come together and let's heal the fucking universe. Because it's not just about the world. It's healing the energy that is in the universe because that's what we are attracting. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to fix. Mm, that's an asset. <laughs> Don't use me as an asset, bro. <laughs> you got to pay me. <laughs> I pay you enough. <laughs> That's not true. No, I, I agree. I agree. There's so many people out there that are, are not speaking about the things they should be speaking about because it's, it's this innate. People are scared to speak their truths, and I get I get hundreds of messages about. I bring a practical spiritual notion to everyone else because I'm a practical spiritual guy. I have to, I I can only live my truth. I can only speak from my my experience. I'm not saying my experience is going to help anyone or it's going to aid anyone, but I can only speak from my experience. And I think you're, you're right. I think, I think Kanye is specifically, I don't want to dive in specifically on Kanye because I love Kanye. We all do. I think I love Kanye because he operates very much on his emotion in the now. I'm not saying it's detrimental or it's, it's amazing or whatever. 
he is a super powerful being because he acts on impulse. And, I, and, and again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I remove right or wrong morality from it. One of my key concepts is act before you think. Mm. And I'm not talking about, again, the egoness coming in and being like, if I acted before I think when I was younger, I'd probably be dead. Be dead. And I've spoken about this many times. I'm talking about that initial impulse of when you want to say something and you don't, as long as it's not hurting anyone, and you feel it's the truth, that's, I, I guess that's okay. For me, in terms of acting how I think, so going for that job interview and being like acting like or thinking what that person wants to hear instead of acting how you want the interview to go. That's kind of my, my interpretation of act before you think. Or, or, or even like, should I exercise today? Should I go, to, for that, for that, for that, go, go for that run? And then your mind's like, oh, well, you're a little tired. You didn't really sleep last night. You have work. Can you do this or type of shit? That's the acting before you think I'm talking about. Got it. Get up and just do it. Just do it. I guess Nike, that's why Nike is the, probably one of the biggest brands in the world. Sure. 